Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. This is episode number eight with Ivy Noel Weir. Uh, really cool, uh, great conversation about her uh, unique career journey uh, and just everything that she's learned, just living a life of geekdom, really aligning her strengths with her passions and um, kind of just uh, kind of making the most of uh, just her her life of just always being into geeky things and wanting to share that passion with others and bring people together uh, around their shared interests. So uh, really was looking forward to talking to Ivy, talked to her uh, within like the last month. So, um, you know, you'll find everything that we talked uh, about in the show notes. Definitely look forward to her uh, graphic novel coming out in March. And uh, we'll link out to the pre-order for that on Amazon. Uh, but just a really great conversation. Ivy is uh, super cool and just uh, really enjoy talking with her and uh, know you will enjoy listening to this episode. So uh, after this quick message from our sponsor, uh, enjoy this episode number eight with Ivy Noel Weir. It's an honor to have our good friends at Swiftkick be a sponsor of the podcast because I've seen their work firsthand and it's truly unlike any student leadership training I've experienced. They've been voted best student leadership program unprecedented five times, so you know they must be doing something right. As a bonus for our listeners, Swiftkick is giving a $500 discount off their normal speaking fee if you mention Higher Ed Geek when you contact them. I highly recommend their trainings for your campus as your students will be talking about it for months afterwards. It's really great stuff. Check them out at swiftkickhq.com to learn more and let them know I sent you. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, making time for this because, yeah, i just sort of been like following you for a while because I know um, you were involved with uh, Rutgers Geek Week one year and just as like seeing like the people who are coming... I was just like, oh, let me like follow the, you know, just sort of like, you know, see more of like uh, their stuff and everything. But since then, I've just sort of been uh, following your exploits. And I think uh, I'm very interested to hear kind of like your, you know, with like your career path and some of those like decision points for you, but especially the stuff that you did while you were um, working at the library. Um, some of that like programming and stuff that you did was, uh, I was always just very, uh, no, I was excited to see that. It seemed like really cool stuff and just something that would like in my head, like it just is exactly how I think. Um, and I'm just like, I'm getting ahead of myself because uh, we'll, we'll talk about this in like the, the episode. <laughs> sure. but yeah. I just, I want to give you kind of props. It was, it was, it was, it was really cool. So, um, so yeah, just uh, kudos for all that you've done so far. You just have done Thank a lot of, you. Stuff, but, um, cause yeah, I know for like, getting this podcast started, I was trying to just like brainstorm a lot of people were just like, Oh, I've just kind of been following them for a while. You know, people who would sort of, you know, fit the niche of sort of what I was trying to aim for with this of, uh, um, like people who, you know, it's sort of the overlapping of like where your strengths and your interests align where like, I think yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the zeitgeist is like, you know, like, Oh, just follow your passions almost kind of like aimlessly, you know, just like go out and yeah. like do that. And it's like, well, I think you have to find what you're good at and find where it kind of intersects with, you know, what you enjoy doing. Um, so uh, it seems like you've been you've been finding your own way. Um, so again, I, I'm just very curious to hear a bit about like you know some of those nuances of your of your story. But um, sure. yeah, yeah, so this will be really really cool. But um, maybe we'll jump in here. So yeah, I mean we'll we'll kick things off here and we'll kind of branch off as my. Uh, uh, 
you know, my brain goes off on different tangents, but, um, you know, if you just want to start off uh, the episode here, just give a, a brief introduction of yourself and kind of the, you know, the Cliff Notes version of how you got to be where you are today. And we'll sort of dig in deeper uh, once you get through all that. So I'm Ivy Noel Weir. Um, I'm from Philadelphia and um, I work in publishing now. Um, I'm in the publicity and marketing department at Quirk Books, uh, who published uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and lots of other nerdy titles. <laughs> um, before that, I was a librarian for five years um, at a public library in the Philadelphia suburbs. Um, and my background is actually in uh, fine arts and art history. It's what I majored in in undergrad. So kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> um, well, I guess what was, the, so, you know, you started in kind of art history. And I guess if you, you know, sort of books and things, I guess, are art, you know, if you sort of open up perspective a little bit that way. So I guess like, you know, if that sort of was the connected tissue maybe, or, you know, what was that decision point, I guess, of like, you know, making kind of those shifts and were you always like looking for something different or like what was kind of like the push pull maybe um, that was sort of leading you along this path where you've kind of done some, some different kind of stuff. But it seems like to me, there's probably some kind of connective tissue between each thing. Um, so I guess, yeah. yeah, a little bit more about like those decision points when you maybe like went from one thing to the next. Sure, definitely. Um, so it's, it is like kind of a roundabout story, but everything does connect eventually. Um, so when I was in school, I went to um, Parsons School of Design um, for photography. And I got really interested in um, historical medical photography uh, from the turn of the century, like daguerreotypes and tintypes of like amputees and like two-headed babies and all that creepy stuff. Um, I started making a lot of work, my own photographic work, that was sort of um, not straight recreations of those images, but definitely like an, an influenced by them. Um, and that led me down this path of really wanting to understand the, the ethics of medical photography because it was really interesting during the time that a lot of these pictures were being taken, um, you know, there was, there was no real ethical standard for what was being done with them and mm -hmm. they're being sold sometimes. Um, it also was kind of interesting because photography at the time was so new that only photographic studios were really equipped to take them. So you get these images of like people with like horrifying, you know, facial scarring that were like leaning on a pedestal with a fern because they were getting these photos taken in like portrait studios, more or less like the equivalent of like a Sears portrait studio. Uh -huh. Um, so I got very interested in that, but I got really interested in the ethics of it. And um, I had the opportunity uh, to intern at the Muter Museum, uh, which is a museum here in Philadelphia that is a collection. It's a medical history museum. Um, to call it a medical oddities museum makes it seem kind of fetishistic, but, you know, that is mostly what their collection is, is oddities and abnormalities. Um, but they're very ethical in their practice. They're very educational, very serious. Um, and I interned as an image archivist, um, which was really inspirational to the, the creative work I was making. Uh, but when I was in the image archive, I got really fascinated by the idea of image archiving. 
um, and the ethics of archiving and the concept of archiving. So I actually transferred my undergrad program. I left a traditional studio arts program at Parsons and I finished my bachelor's at this small low residency school called Goddard College in Vermont. Um, where twice a year for 10 days I would go and I would work one-to-one with an advisor and I did an individualized study for the last two years of my undergrad career on um, the theory of archiving Mm -hmm. Um, and archiving is this almost artistic practice. Um, So at the same time that I was doing this, I was working part-time at a library Uh, So everything was Uh sort of feeding each other. Um, And ultimately, my undergrad thesis, my my undergrad studies were still technically in in art, um, even though at this point I was writing this like massive paper on like Foucault and Derrida and the power dynamics of the archive. I was also Uh making this ongoing art piece about uh, this infinite archive. Um, and it, I ended up making a completely fake history of the library where I was working, self-publishing it, and then adding it to the library's collection. <laughs> that was like my final art piece that I made for my undergrad degree, and it's it's still in their collection. Um, so yeah, it was like this interest in libraries came from this art standpoint. At the same time, I was working in a library in the in the day to day, and libraries are like they're really fascinating when you're in them and you're kind of boots on the ground because you're dealing with everybody. There's no barrier to entry where like you might go to a store or I had worked retail, you know, through high school and college and there's a barrier to entry. You know, you, you have to have money to go into a store. Um, whereas the library there's, you just get everybody, everybody can come in the door and that's awesome. But you also have this very different experience dealing with public, Uh, doing that so it was this very interesting contrast between this very high-minded pursuit of the library as like this theoretical thing and then my day-to-day life being like somebody returns a book and it's like literally dripping in axe body spray you know (laughs) so it was like definitely like both sides of one coin yeah that's uh Oh, yeah. It's just like, what's the story? I guess like the simple might be like, oh, I just spilled it or whatever. But just like, like I don't know, like, where was the book? Where's the th- like, what? Ha- I got to, you know, I got to figure out what happened. But then it's just like, you just returned it. Like, you're just kind of like, here you go. Like, nothing happened. This is completely normal. Oh, yeah. It was like um, literally dripping. Like when people are like, what's the worst thing I have at the library? Like that is hands down it. Because when I, t- I had to take it from them and I washed my hands like, 50 times and i still smelled like axe for like an entire day yeah, it's, a very, it's a very strong order i guess like for better or worse it's like pervasive it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man um yeah i guess that's interesting yeah i guess of this like yeah certainly uh i think a lot of people can relate sometimes the like actual day-to-day of like you know me knowing a lot of higher ed people it's just like administering you know sort of higher education is different than all of this kind of theoretical stuff about like students finding themselves and just like, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like, it's all, it's all part of it. So it's like, you know, you have to kind of find the, find the good problems to have kind of thing that you don't mind having, you know, uh, some people would be like, you know what, cool. Like, you know, I don't mind dealing with the, you know, books coming back in whatever condition, but I'm sure, you know, some people could, you know, get old, I guess. But, uh, 
yeah i guess yeah it's just really interesting how you frame that of just like you know kind of that more theoretical place because i know you like pursued uh like a degree in sort of like uh like library studies or something right like you got sort of like a master's in that of kind of pursuing that more kind of formal education right Yes, um, I am actually graduating my master's program next month. Um, It's I've been doing it while I've been working, so it's been a bit. um, But yeah, it's in library and information science. And my focus for my last year, uh, my research project graduate has actually been on information ethics more exciting <laughs> stuff <laughs> well, no yeah lots I, of theory there <laughs> yeah well yeah just i like the idea though of just viewing just the importance of libraries if people forget about them it is just like it's the curation of knowledge it can be you know the curation um you know these artifacts and and, and of art and uh you know obviously there's just so much value in that and, you know to me as like a history major you know that's the thing that can provide context for why the world is the way that it is now you know there's just this this uh trail of artifacts and things and just like um yeah especially you know like libraries are public you know it's just a uh and i know a lot of what you did when you worked at the library like very much having it as a community space encouraging people to come in and also um having it not just be a place where you know books and knowledge and you know things like that are accessible but uh so much more and i think that's definitely my impression i guess is that that is where you know libraries are going is that you know they've also you know been places where people can access the internet you know on computers and stuff like that so it's like kind of continuing that that spirit of being a access point for in a community to come together and um you know i guess that at the broadest point just like access knowledge you know and just um you know be a part of the world and all that but um yeah so i guess at this point in the story uh to keep going chronologically so yeah you're uh you're working uh full-time at the public library you know you did that for a couple of years and like i said uh, just for the sake of everybody else listening because i keep gushing about it but i haven't really explained it so like you did a lot of programming when you were at that library so i'm really curious to hear how that came to be and sort of like you know what that experience was like for you to kind of do that service for the for the community that you were serving yeah um i mean i totally agree i i'm I think I was somewhat maybe unpopular among my coworkers um, because I was always the person being like, let's get rid of bookshelves and put in more room for programming. <laughs> like, um, but I do think that the, the future of libraries, it's not even the future because it's what they're being used for now. I think it's just that there's sort of this cognitive dissonance where people don't quite grasp this yet. Although we're, I think we're headed in that direction is that they really are community gathering places. They see the more as community centers. Um, I think that, you know, and a lib- like for public libraries, I think there's always going to be special libraries and academic libraries to serve that more scholarly pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a, a public library is best serving its community if it's focusing on, you know, a multitude of needs and not just the need to access books. I think access to the internet is incredibly important. Job searching happens at the library. Um, community gathering space is rare. Um, there's the concept of the third place, a place that's not home and a place that's not work or school. And the library can really be that place. So that was really what I wanted to approach programming at my library when I was there as, um, so I, in addition to like 
all the art school stuff, which makes me sound like very pompous when I say it all out loud. I was raised in a very nerdy family. Um, my mom gave us comics from day one. Um, I had my first subscription box to comic shop by the time I was seven. Um, my brother and I were just huge nerds, just big old dorks um, growing up. And so before I was full-time at my library, I had two part-time jobs. I was there part-time. I worked part-time at a comic book store, um, which is how I became involved in the Valkyries, um, which I still help co-administrate. That's a group for women who work in comic book retail. Um, it's, we now have almost 700 women worldwide. It's pretty oh, huge. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's, it's great. We are a legion. Um, so I was working comic book retail and it sort of fed what I wanted to do at the library. Um, because, you know, I mean, when I was growing up, when I was in high school, like I had a group of friends who I played D and D and matched gathering with, talked about comics with, but they were not the same as like, the group of friends that I hung out with like at school mm-hmm. um and I never would have like freely admitted that I was spending my weekends playing Call of Cthulhu you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. um so it it's changed now I think it's much easier for teenagers to be more open with being into nerd stuff and I mean we can thank Marvel movies and you know, TV shows for making it a little more accessible and making it a little more accepted. Um, and so I was working with young adults mostly and I figured there had to be the, the town where my library was, you know, it wasn't super sports focused. Like it wasn't one of those towns where like they have an amazing football team and like everybody's into football. It was more just like, there wasn't really anything if you were like a, a nerdy kid. So I was a nerdy kid and I wanted to make stuff for nerdy kids. So um, it started with making a comic book reading group um, to which two kids showed up the first time I had it and the second time I had it. And then by like the sixth time I had it, they brought another friend and I had three of them. <laughs> um, but they loved it so much that I didn't want to stop it, even though in terms of it being successful, it really wasn't. (laughs) Um, But I stuck with it, and a big part of how I grew it was to collaborate with the high school. Um, And I just sort of began to insist that the high school and the middle school let me come and talk before summer break about what we had at the Uh library. And getting that one-to-one interaction with the kids really was the key. And by the time that I left the library, um, there were 22 kids in that comic book reading group. Um, So it really grew. Um, And from there, we branched out because when I had one group of teenagers telling me what they were interested in, I was like, all right, I'll run with it. Um, We had a Magic the Gathering club that (laughs) was enormous. It was huge. We had so many kids in it that they couldn't all sit at the tables in our programming room so they would some of them would play sitting on the floor under the tables um we started a video game club um the the town where my library was had um a lot of migrant farm worker families um and the kids were often at the library with no adult um or the older kids were watching the younger kids and they would come in and they would play like minecraft 
or Roblox on our PCs, our public PCs. And, um, you know, I was really lucky. Um, I worked with another person who was in the school system, um, who I had met actually, he had a pull box at the comic shop where I worked. That's how I met him. And we partnered and he helped me get into the schools and he helped me run the programs and we came up with a lot together. And so the video game club came from both of us noticing these kids who didn't have access to a video game system at home coming in and playing on the PCs. Um, originally (laughs) we were borrowing every video game system that we were using for the club. And my, my, his name is Dud. Dan, um, Dan would go and he would drive around to all these houses and pick up all the systems. And we would have the club after hours at the library, we would lock the door and we would basically turn the library into an arcade. And then after we were done, we'd drive all the playstations and Xboxes back to their original owners. <laughs> um, so it's like kind oh. of tedious, but the, the kids were so happy that it made it so worth it. And it grew, it started off with about 12 kids, which, anyone in library programming could tell you that like if you're in a small branch you get 12 kids for the first program that's like crushing it um and by the time the last video game club that i ran before i left the library had 75 kids at it we could barely we could barely fit them in the building we were like this might be in violation of the fire code um (laughs) so it was a very small library um so when it started to grow, um, Dan and I decided that we, we couldn't sustain with borrowed systems. So we ran a, a Indiegogo campaign uh, to earn money to buy systems dedicated for the club. Um, we set a goal that would allow us to buy one Xbox One and one PS4. Um, and we thought that was probably more than we were going to get. And uh, we ended up making almost $2,200 in donations from all around the world, um, which was crazy. It allowed us to buy four systems, accessories, games, um, update our televisions. It was it was really great. Um, and that helped us really push the, the club forward. And they still, they still run it. Um, periodically, I get pictures. Um, so I'm glad it's still there. It became this sort of weekly hangout for these kids that for some of them, they weren't, you know, they didn't have a home life where they really wanted to be home at night because their parents were working and they were just there by themselves. Um, so they were just kind of out wandering around. And so we gave them a place to hang out. Uh, and you know, it's, it's funny because they were, <laughs> they were definitely like loud when they were in there during the day, but eventually the video game club kids kind of became this like little posse that everybody who worked at the library knew. And like, even like the crankiest library staffers would like give them a pass <laughs> if they were being loud. Like they really, they made it their own. I think my favorite story is that when they were on spring break, it was during, we would take like a couple of week hiatuses from video game club just to like let us all let all the staff get a break because it was every friday night and it's nice to have your friday night like once in a while Mm -hmm. um so they were on spring break it was during one of the times we were on hiatus from video game club and um a bunch of them came in 
and they didn't know what to do with themselves. So I asked them to help me put away books that had come in. And eventually by the end of spring break, uh, they were like running the circulation desk. Like they learned how to use the library checkout software and like were checking people out and like checking the books in. Um, It was great. And these are kids that like, we really couldn't engage with the book part of the library at all. So to see them do that was pretty exciting. Um, And to see them take that kind of ownership over the space. So I think that, you know, my goal with the programming that I did for young adults was really to try and listen first to what they were actually interested in, because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of like presumption that when you're doing library programming, it has to really be book focused. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Man, I realize I'm coming off as sounding like very anti-book. I love books. All right? <laughs> just to be clear, <laughs> yeah, just to I'm be clear. Looking, <laughs> looking at my bookshelf that is full of books that like they're falling off it. I'm like pro reading, but um, you know, it's not. That's not always the access point for young adults. You know, um, and that could be for a lot of reasons. Either they're struggling with reading, or they're just feeling like they're under too much pressure from school. Um, or they haven't found something that they're really interested in reading about yet. We figured that the best way to get them interested in the book part of the library was to lure them in with something else, Um, whether that was Magic the Gathering or video games or comic books, the great trick where you can be like, ha-ha, what you don't know is you just read a book. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it worked, and we did see some of the kids open up library cards and begin to check out books when they definitely were not interested in that before. We also were better able to partner with the schools, um, to, they distributed their summer reading books through us. Um, we ran summer reading programs so that the kids who were already familiar with me and already familiar with Dan from video game club could sign up and come in and do their summer reading, you know, with group activities with us, with people they were comfortable with. Um, So we did as much as we could to try and make it a place that they weren't intimidated to come in. Um, And then for adults, you know, I tried to do the same thing. We had less of an adult program attending crowd in my town, but it was that same thing where, you know, we had a book club and the book club was successful, but anything else we were trying to do wasn't really getting a good turnout. And so... I started looking for things that were not really book related and the best programs that we ran. Um, we did like a chocolate tasting workshop with this like amazing chocolatier from France who just happened to live in the town. Um, that might've been my favorite one. Um, you know, we did, um, bring your own board game night where people brought their own board games from home and I had tea and coffee. Um, and they all got to share, you know, various board games that they played. Um, so things like that really worked for adults, too. I think it was really just diversifying what people expected from that space that brought people in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's all really great stuff. And just like, you know, makes me think for for higher ed, like certainly just the the conceptual idea, like you were saying, like you had your niche kind of audience of uh, the kids who were coming in and, you know, with these other programs, I'm sure, yeah, you weren't getting like oh we're getting like hundreds and hundreds of people coming in and you know, like the space wouldn't even accommodate that but for the people that did come for for anything that you did it was such you know i would assume it was a very high impact you know opportunity for them on so many different levels where it's just 
you know, having fun for fun's sake, uh, social outlet. Um, and yeah, like them, like the kids taking ownership of the space and, you know, getting a little bit of responsibility and, you know, having to like take care of things or whatever. Like there's just a lot of layers there, but it's just a very high impact uh, sort of program for the people who do um, come out to it. So it has value, you know, in that regard versus like, oh, let's just get as many people, you know, um, as, pop as possible in terms of just like scale being like, oh, that's the only thing, you know, the only metric that's worth anything. And like it yeah. has a lot of other value that way. Um, yeah, that's, it's really awesome to hear. So yes, that, that was, you know, uh, I think if, uh, yeah, I just think that's what sort of like incepted in my head of just like, I think you really got the idea of, um, like I said, I mean like games and stuff like that can just be fun, but there's just so much more that comes with that as part of the experience that I think is just like so valuable and why I just love, you know, the yeah, like geek and nerd culture of, you know, just bringing people together and sharing their interest, interest and just like making those bonds that I think can be very, um, very durable bonds so um oh yeah definitely there would be like a new kid that would join my it was called geek gang my comic book reading club be like a new girl that would join she joined and she was like a a homeschooler and she didn't know anybody there and she was wearing i forget what oh fairy tale the the manga she's wearing a fairy tale shirt and she sat down and one of my longtime members immediately went, are you wearing a fairy tale shirt? And she was nervous. And she's like, yeah. She's like, all right, we just became best friends. <laughs> and that was like it. Like she was in from that day on, like no nervous period, just part of the group. So, you know, I think, yeah, it gives people a, an immediate thing to relate over. Um, you know, my, my big move when I was working with teenagers who were kind of nerdy is yeah if they were wearing like a t-shirt or had like a keychain or something from like a nerd property I would always be able to be like oh I like your winter soldier keychain Bucky is my trash son and that was like immediately like we were able to to connect on that there's that like you know and then like it opens it up and eventually like you can find things you connect on deeper but in that moment, you just both really like Winter Soldier, and that's something to, to share and be excited about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a really cool initiative, and I don't, I don't know. Um, now I'm curious to bring us to the present day. So you're you're doing that and having you know good success with that, and I think you know probably just for you personally and professionally, you know, building a lot of skills, building a lot of connections, um, and I guess you know at a certain point, you know. I guess, and if it's, you know, how candid, I guess you want to be, except like you said, it's just like, you know, you're doing it on Friday nights and just like, you know, if it was just a big demand on your time and you feel like you, obviously you planted a lot of seeds that, you know, are continuing to grow even now after you have left. So like, like, what was that process like for you to decide it was okay to move on kind of, you know, I know with these kind of things for a lot of people, myself included, you know, you create something, it can be hard to like, just kind of let it go and let it be and kind of exist on its own. Um, so I guess, what was that process like, uh, where you moved on now to your, uh, current opportunity and, you know, you're continuing to do really cool stuff, but I'm sure that was probably a, um, yeah, just a, an interesting, uh, process making that, uh, decision to, to move on to something else. So I guess, yeah, just dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was definitely difficult. Um, there, there were a lot of factors that contributed to me kind of wanting to try something else. I had been working at my library. I had actually started working there um, 
I took a, a gap year. Um, I had gone to a liberal arts school for one semester. I had left. It really wasn't a good fit for me. I took a year off before I went to art school. And during that year off, I actually worked at the same library just like part time as like a circulation clerk. Um, so functionally, I had been at that library since I was like 19. Mm. Um, and I, you know, it was I really loved it. Um, but I really wanted to see what else was kind of out there for me. Um, and especially as I got involved with the Valkyries and as I started traveling and speaking, you know, I was meeting so many people and I was like, I really want to look at something that's, you know, just on a bigger scale than this. Um, and I was starting to feel like I was in a place where if I did let go <laughs> of some of the programs, they could like keep going. Like they keep going on their own. Like the groundwork was there. Um, I was really lucky to have really amazing staff. Um, people didn't <laughs> make fun of me because they said just rope my friends into working for me, which is like pretty true. Um, <laughs> like, you know, Dan, who was really my partner in a lot of this, I met him through the comic shop where he was somebody I was friendly with there. Um, and, I also ended up bringing in um, a really good friend of mine who I went to college with, um, and he actually has my old job now. Um, he sort of became my assistant, more or less, and when I left, he took over, and I know that he's doing a great job at still running the programs and that all of the kids really love him, and so I felt really good leaving it in his hands. I think that was probably the best circumstance under which I could have left. Um, but I wanted to kind of see, you know, I wanted to, to change and do something. Um, and so publishing was interesting to me because it was like working with books and ideas and concepts of relaying, you know, media more or less, um, on this larger scale. And Quirk was interesting to me because they're really, they are, as their name implies, it's a very quirky company. Our books are quirky. Um, when I saw this opportunity come up in publicity and marketing, a lot of, a lot of library programming is publicity and marketing. Um, and I think it's something that librarians get really undersold on, which is unfortunate. Like to be a librarian, you have to be really good at marketing <laughs> um, because you have to be able to encourage people to come into the space. And I mean, the, the pervasive attitude among people is that libraries are dying, you know, libraries aren't going to exist anymore because of the internet and all this stuff, which is just such a privileged viewpoint. Like it just, they're going to exist for people who need them. People who need them use them every day. Just because you have a Kindle does not mean that a person who doesn't have internet at home doesn't need to be able to access job applications, you know? Um, or just, you know, a family doesn't need somewhere to go to get children's books to encourage reading. Like, it's, they're not going anywhere. Um, they're changing. They're not going anywhere. So you have to get really good at marketing because you kind of have to constantly be defending your right to exist in some ways and also you have to bring people in and prove to them that you know yes maybe your elementary school librarian was like the mean old lady with cat eye glasses who shushes you all the time but this library has a tea and board games night which is very different and kind of loud and nobody's gonna shush you so um because i had done my undergrad studies at a design school, I was making a lot of 
um, I was trying to sort of redefine what you expect from like library advertising. And so it was all very trendy looking. Um, and I was working a lot with community partnerships and trying to get the word out that way. And so publicity and marketing became sort of like second nature. It, it, by the time that I was leaving the library, I actually was not running as many programs hands-on as I was just sort of coordinating, managing, advertising, getting the word out. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, most of the programs are being run by Alex, who has my job now, and, and my partner, Dan, so, um, and some of our, our part-time staff and volunteers, <laughs> my friends who I roped into working for me. Um, <laughs> so we, you know, when I decided to leave, I wanted to, to try it from a different angle, and I found publishing to be very interesting. It's not so dissimilar, but, you know, you are working with a different skill set. Um, and it's always nice to kind of challenge yourself. Um, and that's what it felt like. It felt like a challenge to, to switch gears into publishing. I really, you know, I really like my job now. Um, and part of why I really like it is that I do a lot of our library marketing. Like I work alongside our director of publicity and marketing to do library marketing. So I actually still get to hang out with and talk to librarians all the time. Um, I go to, I went to our ALA, represented us at ALA's conference this year. Um, I just got back from doing two different presentations to groups of librarians in the New York area talking about our new releases. And um, I got to be part of a really cool initiative at Quirk called Book Pop. It was celebrating the company's anniversary. Um, and we, I got to actually write um, alongside our marketing department, we created these programming guides, taking a lot of the principles that I used when I was making programming for my library and bringing that skill set there, making these programming guides that went along with our books and helping librarians throw authorless events. Um, and the librarians who ran events, they were all great. Like I would get emails and pictures. Um, and it's really great because I feel like I'm, I'm helping a lot of librarians remotely now Uh Um, I used to travel a lot and speak at library conferences actually I still do let's see why I used to I spoke at ALA annual this year (laughs) Um, but I used to travel and speak at library conferences and I really loved that moment afterwards where people would come up and like we would talk and they would be like this is what I'm doing at my library and what do you think about this and we would kind of just go back and forth and share ideas Um, I still get to do that and I really love doing that um, it's been a really interesting change, um, but it's good. I feel like I've grown a lot and it's helped me look at things in a very different way. It's a different way of thinking, um, when you're doing it outside of, when you're in a library, just, I described it to somebody as like, you know, I loved being in the library, but I felt like I was constantly putting out fires because you're in a nonprofit and you've got a million things happening all at once. And so, you know, you're kind of trying to keep keep the boat afloat. <laughs> um, even if, you know, we did progress a lot and we pushed a lot of things forward, you know, at the end of the day, you have to make sure that, like, your library is going to stay open. You're going to get funding. You're going to, you know, be able to provide the best service for the most people. So it's a very different way of thinking. I feel like I'm not looking at crisis management as much. I'm looking at, like coming up with new ideas it's exciting it's it i love i love both of them um Mm -hmm. and i don't think i would be able to do this job if i hadn't come from from my background in libraries yeah 
Because, um, yeah, it sounds like from what you're saying, like you did certain things that you're doing now, like you did it informally before, and now you're doing it more formally as part of your job to just like help other uh, librarians, like just help support them in doing the best job that, you know, they can sort of being like more behind the scenes and it's more, you know, of a larger impact that you can have. Um, and yeah, it's great that you're utilizing, you know, skills and knowledge, uh, you know, that you have, uh, you know, that you garnered before you're kind of, uh, paying it forward and uh, helping other folks out and just uh yeah i mean it's a it's really cool uh really cool path and yeah they're just kind of connected tissue for each thing and i think it uh for me like one of the takeaways there is just kind of that like you know i guess partially kind of going where the wind takes you or like each thing kind of leading to the next thing you know so if you know anybody's on their path and just like you know you have an opportunity to come forward that sounds really great it's just like yeah i mean like take that on and you know take as much as you can from that opportunity because it's probably going to help lead you to the next thing. If it's like, yeah, it's, it's hard to ever find one job or organization that's ever going to be like perfect, like absolutely, you know, no flaws. And it's like, I don't know if anybody ever finds that. Maybe, you know, there's a very select few people that do, but sort of, I, I kind of alluded to it before. I've kind of like, uh, this is a book I read captured it this way is like, you find the thing that has like good problems to have, like you said, like you don't mind doing some of those things. And like, obviously you're going to some of the things with like running a library and now like working with those people, you know, you can really empathize with that. And just like, you're, you're still kind of immersed in that space because if you are working with anybody at a library, you know, that's what's going on in their world. But if you were like, Oh God, you know, you just like hated that aspect. It's just like, get over, you know, or just like, <laughs> Oh, you're kind of always like blowing it off. It's like, Hey, I know it. Like, I know that's the, the, you know, the struggle, it's the hustle, but like, let me help you, you know, do the best job that you can with these resources and advice and things like that. And just like really come, come at it with a very holistic view to help them, um, you know, do the type of work that, uh, you know, they want to do. And yeah, I mean, it's all, all really great stuff. And, um, next yeah, i think I, you kind of answered some of the questions so very long but i, I loved all of it uh, just getting through your professional journey because that is kind of where you are now you know you've, you've uh kind of lived a very geeky nerdy life always you know having that as part of your um your life kind of most personally and professionally um so i guess just we can get down to like uh particular things you might want to recommend but kind of more thematically or categorically um you know like what do you geek out about currently and like have you always been into those things and i can kind of get into like you know comic books and things like that but um yeah i guess anything else you'd want to mention just kind of like the things that you're into and then we'll get into uh you know uh, anything you might want to recommend later on um i mean yeah i've always been a, a comic person um and i read very agnostically uh, um i like i'll read anything i don't know i mean like i growing up i was a marvel kid but it's like I'll read whatever now. <laughs> um, and, you know, I also, I, I did watch a lot of anime and read a lot of manga growing up, which um, I think also if you're working with teenagers or with younger people or I guess now college students because the generation that really, like, got the full brunt of the Barnes & Noble manga section is now in college, um, you know, it, manga and anime, are, they're not, that is a powerful fandom mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. so you know i i did watch a lot of anime read a lot of manga um love the x-men always been a big x-men nerd um maybe because i often felt like a mutant as a younger person <laughs> kind of was always like hoping 
that uh, that meant I had superpowers and didn't just feel weird. Um, and um, I um, I'm really nerdy for a lot of weird stuff. Like I'm a big horror nerd, um, especially like old weird horror, like giallo horror movies and like B movies from the sixties and seventies. Um, a lot of the work I did before in art school, before I got really into like, uh, medical photography was about like seventies slasher films. Um, (laughs) so, you know, I'm still a big horror nerd. Um, I, I mean, I, God, I'm just like a big nerd. I'm like, what? Am, what? Is there any nerdy thing I don't do? I yeah. play D and D. We just got a switch. <laughs> I'm super into Breath of the Wild right now. Uh, so I mean, yeah, there's a lot that I, I geek out over, and then you know, there's also like, I'm super nerdy for like Bertolt Brecht and the Three Penny Opera and like Weimar cinema, and uh, I. I'm a big music nerd. Um, I've been on like a real kick of listening to like really old country music recently. <laughs> um, so, I mean, but I think that that's like, that's part of like geekdom and nerddom. What I would always say to the, the teenagers I worked with was like, you know, it doesn't matter if the thing you're into is like a thing that has a fandom, like you can find other people that are into it. Like, you can make the really old country music fandom. It's the beauty of the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, it's the idea of like having a, a eclectic diverse diet of like media and art and culture that you consume and stuff. And just being able to like appreciate anything on its merits versus like, I think I, I, I mean, I could, I can even get that way. And I'm sure everybody does with maybe certain things like it has its limits, but you know, cause yeah, that's the idea of like, if somebody is a Marvel comics fan, then they'll just be like, oh, I can't even like, you know, deal with like DC or anything else. Like they, they like restrict themselves versus just like kind of appreciating good stories. However they come to you, whether they're like comics, TV, movie, podcast, like whatever. It's just like, like, yeah, like what you like. And you know, yeah. Like if you're super into a thing, yeah. Like, you know, get on Reddit and like build the fandom around, you know, like old country music, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just like being in, open to you know the beauty in anything and just like whatever it has to offer to where like you know i'm not sure what you may latch on to with old country music but there's something there where it's just like yeah i can appreciate that it's not like yeah. you know you become the paragon of it because the you know like i think some people definitely do have maybe a little bit more of that personality where it's just like i'm really in this phase right now and then it drops off and i don't maybe ever really go back to it but i can at least appreciate it or something but you know it sounds like yeah you just do have like an eclectic diet because i think you know, I'm similar in that way where, you know, it's just the sliding scales with everything. Like I'm not as huge into music, but I really love podcasts, which is part of the reason why I do one. You know, I love listening to them, but I'm like really into TV and movies and like video games and um, some of that stuff. But like anime and manga, like I kind of just miss that phase, even though I think I'm in that kind of age group that would have, you know, really, uh, you know, uh, consumed a lot of that. But, you know, there's a lot there, I guess. Yeah, you don't have to be into everything, like what you like and, you know, be proud and sort of confident in that and just like, just generally be open to things, I guess. Yeah. Is that you, you shouldn't just like immediately write things off before you even like give them a fair shot. Cause that's what I love is hearing of like, yeah, nobody else when they told me what they got about us said, you know, vintage country music. So it's just like it's fascinating <laughs> to me. That's really cool. It's like, so it's like, yeah, more power to you. That's, it's great. Oh yeah. yeah. It, um, 
we're going to my my partner is from Memphis. We're going there for Christmas this year, and I'm like super stoked to see Sun Studios. Like right, I'm a yeah. weird old dad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's you know, I mean, exactly. And I think that that is something that's important if you're dealing with any group of people, you know, whether it's people that might call themselves geeks or nerds or whatever, you know, be open to a lot. And I'm a firm believer that, and I would say this, this was one of the rules of geek gang when I had geek gang was, um, if somebody said they liked something or somebody said that they didn't like something, you weren't allowed to respond with like, that's dumb. <laughs> um, you could make a suggestion. The most you could offer was a suggestion. So like we would often get to this thing where like, say one of the kids would be like, I don't like the X-Men rather than get like mad at them. Somebody who did like the X-Men in the group could be like, ah, well you might really enjoy God loves man kills. Cause I think it's a really good story. And it gave them the opportunity to explore it if they wanted to, but you know, wasn't forcing it down their throat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, you know, it's just like a good way to go through life, uh, you know, be open, be willing to share, be willing to look into what other people are interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, I think that is how, some, you know, how it takes shape is that like, if you don't like the thing that I like, it's like, yeah, you're just dumb. You know, it's just like, like, well, I mean, yeah, it's like not everybody has to have my interest or like, you know, like I don't like something and you like, it. it's like, well, you're dumb. Like you have bad taste. It's just like, well, you know, yeah. It's like, it's not for me, but it's for you. And it's like, doesn't hurt me that you like that thing. So fine, whatever. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you're not hurting anybody. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess you mentioned a few things and I, th- I think, yeah, you've kind of hit on a lot of these points already. Like the questions I want to ask, which is great. So like, you know, you mentioned like something that you're playing like breath of the wild and um i guess uh yeah anything else like um you know that you're reading watching listening to if you want to you know one of each or just whatever is the thing that really is capturing your attention um you know is anything in particular that you'd want to recommend that we could uh put in the show notes um well i am like I feel the potential in Breath of the Wild for me to get really obsessed with it. Um, I am reading and watching. I like feel like I'm always consuming like three things at once. I'm trying to think about like which of the things. I'm rereading the Southern Reach trilogy right now by Jeff Vandermeer. Um, because when the the movie trailer for Annihilation dropped the other day, I realized that I remembered almost nothing about the books and definitely wanted to reread them. Um, and they're really interesting. They're really good if, if you're a fan of sci-fi. Um, the first book in particular is just like so creepy and claustrophobic and so strong. Um, and ultimately, they have a really interesting narrative about trauma and, and memory um, in the way that like only sci-fi and fantasy and like genre fiction can sneak a really powerful like narrative in on you. Like they're not beating you over the head with it, but then you like put the book down and you're like, Oh man, I'm sad now. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we, I mean, like it's, it's so bad, right? Because I'm like this big nerd. And then like, I have this academic background and like all I watch is trashy reality shows. <laughs> Yeah, just like a palate cleanser, right? You just need to kind of, like... (laughs) I've watched every Real Housewife. Um, (laughs) I'm like, what am I watching? And realizing that, like, my partner and I have literally just been watching The Voice and we're, like, really, really invested in it. Um, 
I've been watching the season of American Horror Story, and I will say that while this season is bad overall, I'm like kind of a stand for American Horror Story. I think that it can be really interesting in the way that it plays with the horror genre. And I think this season, Cult, which like tried to take on the election, was like just ill-timed and kind of vapid. But I mean, still, it still had some interesting cinematic techniques. I think that film nerds should watch American Horror Story. Give it a shot. Sure, it's dumb, but it's really cool. <laughs> it's like, like an interesting like tagline they'd put on it, like a poster or something. Just like <laughs> film nerds watch it. I mean, it's dumb, but you know, just give it a shot. Like, it's like oh, it's, it's dumb, awesome. but yeah. it makes a lot of really cool references to better movies. Um, yeah. And um, you know, I'm I'm a big Overwatch player, and I'm pretty stoked for Moira to drop. Yeah. She's in PTR right now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> You're the second person to recommend that. There's certain themes I recognize of just like if I see a pattern emerging, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I have to at least give that a shot because like a lot of cool people that I like are into this thing. So like, I think one of them that came up uh, uh, was um, how I built this podcast, which like relatively new. I, I kind of knew it existed. Like, I, it's probably like four or five people in a row that I interviewed for this show. We're like, yeah, that's what I'm listening to. Like, you know, unbeknownst to each other, like none of the episodes have come out or anything. Like, so I was just like, okay, this is, I need to at least check that out. So I think, yeah, Overwatch is on my, my gaming short uh, list to get into because I've been playing like Heroes of the Storm, so I'm like familiar with some of the characters. I'm like, oh, this seems like oh, yeah. cool. And like, my brother plays it, and yeah, so I'm like, I, I gotta. It's I gotta so. It I've never been one for like a uh, shooter games like this, but there's like is they created like this perfect like you like all the characters and the game is like just fast enough that like you don't have to feel like fully like oh i'm gonna commit to playing this for six hours you can like hop in and out of a round it's a lot of fun um it's really good if you have a team to play with we have like a discord channel that we're all on and yeah. it's uh, a lot of yelling it's good it's fun <laughs> um yeah it's uh it's all good stuff and um you know, certainly if there's anything burning that you do want to recommend, uh, you can email it to me later. But um, I guess, yeah, for the sake of time, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we did mention just throughout your journey and, um, you know, some of the stuff that you're into. We'll have all that in the show notes. But um, so I feel like this is a good place to end because if, if I'm not mistaken, you know, sort of this question I'd like to end on, I'm kind of looking to the future, what you're looking forward to. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you are working on publishing something. Uh, if it's a correct me if I'm wrong, I guess, like a, a graphic novel or a book of some sort. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, my my first graphic novel comes out in March from Oni Press, Archival Quality, which is about libraries and skulls and ghosts. So everything that I mentioned. It all comes together. In the end. Yeah, it all, everything's connected. Time is a flat circle. Um, so yeah, it comes out in March. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, my, I was fortunate enough to be able to make it with my best friend, Steens. Um, and she's an amazing artist. We've worked together really hard on it. It's been almost three years of working on this book and it's finally coming out. We're, we're ready. We're ready for it to be out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Just like from other people I know that like, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very, uh, I guess if you're doing it right, like a book should take a very long time to create. So, um yeah i mean all that hard work it's uh i think that's something i'm sure you are yeah definitely looking forward to i wanted to make sure we mentioned it and then we'll we'll link out to it um as well but um 
yeah, I guess if that's maybe obviously like a huge thing for you that you're looking forward to anything else, like with your, your job life, uh, and or the world, anything that you are, um, looking forward to that you are uh, excited about in the future to, uh, just to end the episode on here. Um, well, other than the book, I am looking forward to the year kind of wrapping up and being chill. And I hope that uh, it is for everyone else because this has been a nightmarish hell year for almost everyone, I think. Okay. Um, and, you know, what better way to end it than with The Last Jedi, which I feel like I've been looking forward to since before I was born. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it uh, looks like it should be really good. And yeah, it's always a good way to, uh, you know, as we've had now, like at Force Awakens and like, you know, Rogue One stuff, uh, yeah, just being spoiled with uh, pretty good Star Wars movies again. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and that's, I, was, I just need to stop myself because I feel like, you know, we'll go for another hour talking about the creation of your book. But maybe after it comes out and it's just, you know, in the past and you can reflect on the journey. We, you know, may have you on again just to talk about it because that, that's, you know, I'm sure it's probably a really cool experience that you're going to be able to be a part of and, you know, just have that thing just be out in the world. Um, but yeah, I guess we will we'll wrap it up here. Uh, so yeah, just thanks so much again for um, talking at length about your journey and kind of uh, everything that you've learned and just, uh, you know, all the cool stuff you're into. And um, yeah, really look forward to seeing your book come out and um yeah, just thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, again, everything that we talked about in this episode will be in the show notes. And um, yeah, just have a uh, good rest of your week. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for talking with me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. <laughs>